0: This is episode 258 of That Shakespeare Life. Just like the work of William Shakespeare, That Shakespeare Life is supported by our patrons. Listeners just like you help support our show, contribute directly to programming, and get access to special bonuses, including over 150 additional episodes of our show not available on public listening platforms. Find all of the good stuff and sign up today at patreon.com slash that shakespeare life. Hi, I'm Mary Wiesner-Hanks, and I'm the author of The Marvelous Harry Girls, The Gonzalez Sisters and Their Worlds, which was published by Yale in 2009. Another great method for studying the life of William Shakespeare includes listening to this. It's That Shakespeare Life with my friend, Cassidy Cash.
1: It has always been said by scholars for, for years probably more than a 100 years, that eventually a portrait of the Bard will be found and it'll have been hanging in a stately home in England for many, many years unnoticed. And I'd like to think this is it.
2: And now, here's Cassidy. Of all the history we know
0: about William Shakespeare and what it was like to live in turn of the 17th century England, one of the hardest things to know for sure about the Bard is what he looked like. There are only two verified portraits of William Shakespeare. One is the bust available at his funerary monument in Stratford-upon-Avon, and the other is known as the Droshout Portrait, which is an engraving on the title page of the first folio that was published in 1623. Aside from these two depictions, there have been at least nine additional paintings that claimed to be lifelike representations of William Shakespeare, all of which were hotly contested, and a few were outright disproven. One painting, however, has recently risen to the top through rigorous investigation as a real contender for another verified portrait of the Bard. It's known today as the Danby portrait. The Danby portrait was owned by the Danby family for years until it was sold by Christie's in a house contents sale in 1975. At that time, the painting was misattributed and has since been shown to be a painting by Robert Peake, a professional artist from Shakespeare's lifetime who not only knew about William Shakespeare, but actually. Actually worked with him directly in theater. Our guest this week, Duncan Phillips, is the art gallery owner who recently displayed the Danby portrait, and he joins us to share about the history of this painting, its connections to Shakespeare, and the recent evidence that's been uncovered that suggests the portrait is not only of William Shakespeare, but it has more evidence than the other paintings of William Shakespeare to be a real portrait painted from life. We're excited to talk with him about this today. Duncan Phillips has a background in education and journalism, working in the art and antiques market since the early 1980s. During that time, Duncan has been a regular writer and commentator on the art market, a researcher, and occasional buyer and seller of paintings. In addition, he has worked extensively in communications, providing marketing support to major art and antique fairs in the UK and overseas. Duncan has contributed to various publications, including The Antique Dealer and Collector's Guide, The World of Antiques, The Glasgow Herald, and The Scotsman, among many others. He has spoken on numerous TV and radio programs in recent years, and he has been approached to provide research on several projects, including the history of this newly revealed portrait of Shakespeare known as the Danby Portrait. He joins us today to share from his expertise and research exactly what they found and why they believe it's a real portrait of William Shakespeare. Hello, Duncan. Welcome to that Shakespeare life. Hello, Cassidy. How are you? Why is the Danby portrait only now being investigated as a potential portrait of the real William Shakespeare? Where has this painting been all this time?
1: (laughs) It's a good question. Well, the painting has been on a wall in a stately home in Yorkshire, in England, for the past 400 years. And it wasn't really discovered again until. 10 years ago, my friend and colleague who lives in Birmingham was bequeathed the painting in a friend of his will. The painting came originally from Swinton Hall in Yorkshire, which dates back to the late 16th century. And we now believe it was there since around 1780, 1790. But In 1973, four the family who lived in the hall then decided to sell it. Then it was simply on display as Shakespeare, and they must have thought this could be something special. So they took it down to London to the Courtauld Institute, which you'll probably know and your, your followers may do, is the place to take pictures in England. And they looked at it, and they simply photographed it, and they thought Shakespeare. But they didn't take the frame apart. They didn't examine it very carefully, and they sent it back to the family. But they took a photograph, which I found just two years ago in the Witt Library, part of the Courthold, where it, it was a record of how the painting appeared back in 1973. And then two years later, the family decided to sell it in a clearance of the contents of Swinton Hall, much of the contents, not all, where it was listed in a Christie's catalogue as painting of Shakespeare by the artist Van Semmer. So that's where it's been.
0: So as we're on audio here for the podcast, describe for us what the portrait looks like physically and what traits specifically make it a contender for being William Shakespeare.
1: Yes, surely. If I showed you the picture now, and i said who's that you'd say immediately that looks that looks very like shakespeare it's a kindly man soft eyes looking slightly to his left as so many portraits of that period did he's captured wearing a ruff that's typical of the period and a tunic that's or a doublet that's typical of the period it's dated 1608 it's signed by peak uh, the sitter's age is shown as 44, and, of course, we know that Shakespeare was 44 in 1608. He's a kindly-looking gent with a high-receding forehead, a uh, beard, and like so many portraits of people from the period, he has quite a sort of a narrow face. And if you look at portraits of English gentlemen from, I guess, mid-16th century to the 1620s, 30s, so many of them have narrow faces. It was the fashion, how to present yourself to the public. So we find this gentleman who looks like a scholar. He looks like a kindly, benevolent man. He fits in with Ben Jonson's comment, my gentle Shakespeare, this is the man. And it has always been said by scholars for, for years, probably more than a hundred years that eventually a portrait of the bard will be found and it'll have been hanging in a stately home in England for many, many years unnoticed. And I'd like to think this is it.
0: It's it's finally come true here. It's exciting to think that it fits, you know, all of these all of these things. Yeah. All of the Particulars that we would be looking for, which I know you mentioned that the institute didn't take apart the picture, but obviously that's been done at this point. Tell us about the tests that have been done on the painting itself. I mean, did we look at things like the pigment to determine, you know, if the painting itself dated to within Shakespeare's lifetime, or or what did the test discover?
1: Well, when when my colleague inherited was given the picture, really, various people said to him that looks so like Shakespeare. So he took it to a conservationist who cleaned the picture and took off the frame. That's the first thing you do. Whatever you've got, you take the frame apart, you look at the actual physical canvas to see how it, how it appears, how it stood up over 400 years. And the first thing they find is the monogram of the artist, which is distinctive for Robert Peake. That hadn't been found before, which was incredible. It has simply never been taken apart. So the original stretcher on the back of the of the picture was there. The picture had been relined at some point. We now think probably around eighteen, about 1780, 1800. So it had been well cared for. And when you get a picture that's 400 years old, it's almost sure to have damage. So many pictures have been overpainted, cleaned, badly restored, and so forth. This has very, very minor water damage in a corner. nothing significant. It's clearly been well looked after and admired, and it's been hanging somewhere safe and secure for a long time. So suddenly, to give it a, a very minor clean was all it took. Then it was taken down to the court hold again, I suppose about four years ago now, and it's been there twice. And it's had the pigments tested, the canvas tested, everything that's been done that you would have to pay for at the cost of several thousands of pounds and its it's been looked at, and there is nothing wrong with it whatsoever. A uh, tiny bit of overpainting in various parts of the beard we think to cover up some kind of indentation or mark that's appeared, but nothing significant. Everything is original about it that is almost especially in itself. Then we look at the people who lived at Swinton Hall in the period when we first get details of the picture being there. And William Danby was a collector of paintings. And I discovered that back in 1800-ish, he spent in one year £12,000, 12000 English pounds, with his framers in York. William Stavely, the framers. They're well listed. That's one hell of a lot of money. That's the equivalent to quarter of a million pounds today.
0: That goes well we beyond frames. a hobby.
1: <laughs> well beyond. Now, you know, pictures appear in Christie's catalogues, Sotheby's catalogues, that have been sold at auction for the past 80, 90 years with the details of the Stavely family of framers on the back. And so often we find those pictures have originated from Swinton Hall, either been sold by members of the family in the past 120, 30 years, or they were sold in the catalogue sale back in 1975. That catalogue has plenty of pictures and some very interesting books too. It tells you an awful lot about the family when you see what's been sold from their collections. So it's been a fascinating insight. And don't forget, I suppose, when we start to look at how pictures How pictures have a history, in the history of English stately homes, the library was a thing that didn't actually exist until the mid-18th century. Stately homes had libraries added to them. They were a sign of wealth, prestige, knowledge, learning. Somebody of status wanted to show off who they were. They would build a library which is exactly what happened at Swinton Hall. And that library was full of books by all the poets and playwrights. The Danby family collected these things. And of course, like we would today have a picture of your famous heroes hanging on your bedroom wall, perhaps, who knows, Michael Jackson or whoever. In those days, their heroes were poets and playwrights. So it was natural enough to have a picture of William Shakespeare hanging in your library. Which is where this picture was actually seen and recorded uh, by a man writing for the Country Life magazine in eighteen sixty. So we know it was there. And that's an important fact. That adds to the puzzle of where has it been for so long?
0: you mentioned that once the frame was removed from the painting, there were lots of details behind the frame that suggested it was well taken care of. But I wonder what details you uncovered that might provide evidence towards the painting being of William Shakespeare.
1: Well, first the date, 1608, and the age of the sitter, 44. Shakespeare was clearly 44 in 1608. When the painting, I would suspect, was finished, we know Shakespeare... It was probably born in the springtime, April, I think they say. So we know it's painted around about then. Of course, when you look at how painters created their works, it doesn't mean it was painted in that particular month or that year. It could have been painted a year before. We can never know for sure. And I have to say, above everything else, the only really known picture of Shakespeare is from the first folio. Everything else is supposition. This is two, but nothing has come closer. So when I start to look at it objectively, which is all we can do, and weigh up all the evidence as to why this should be Shakespeare, there is an enormous amount of that. There's so much evidence. And then, of course, I start to compare this picture of the man to the funerary monument in Stratford, to other pictures of Shakespeare, the Chandos and so forth. Pictures that have been researched and talked about for the past 200 years. And then you build up a, a much wider view of how Shakespeare's been seen.
0: I think with the painting, I want to know more about Robert Peak. You mentioned that he is has his signature on there. But for those of us that may not know the history of Robert Peake, or maybe didn't even know he was an artist until we discovered this painting and his mark on it, tell us: was he a professional painter in? Shakespeare's lifetime. And I think I read that he worked for the Prince of Wales in 1603.
1: Yes, Robert Peake was one of two and sometimes three painters uh, active in towards the end of the reign of Elizabeth I, and then through all the most of the reign of James I. He was appointed picture maker to the crown, which is a very distinguished position to have, along with de Kritz, Marcus Geerhertz the younger. He was top three pick painter in the country, and he would have spent his time mainly painting portraits. But the crown also employed him to do other things. These were journeymen artists. These were people who did lots of work in all sorts of directions. They would have worked and been paid for the office of the revels, that's R E V E L S. That's well documented. There are accounts for the Office of Revels. People work for them. And so did the King's Men. This is the troop of players who perform Shakespeare's plays, of whom Shakespeare was a member, of course. He was an actor. Uh, they all worked in the same buildings. Blackfriars in London was where the plays were rehearsed, where the plays were licensed for performance. They had to be licensed by the Office of Revels. Shakespeare was paid by the Office of Revels. It's the same building where Robert Peake painted pictures. And he also, and we know this from the accounts of the Office of Revels, he painted scenery. He painted scenery for plays of the period, of which, of course, there were a lot, not just Shakespeare's. He was a journeyman artist. It is inconceivable that he would have not have known Shakespeare or the King's Men or not seen some of the plays. And when I was looking at the research for all of this information, I came across a great historian, a writer, Mary Edmund, no longer with us, sadly. But in 1976, she wrote about John Webster, the playwright, And she mentions Shakespeare in her writings. And she says in her writings, the Peaks were fellow parishioners and near neighbours of the family of John Webster, who, of course, knew Shakespeare. And she says, it must be more than likely that one or both playwrights sat to the Peaks, meaning they had their portraits painted by the Peaks. That's not just Robert Peake, the father, Robert Peake, the elder, we call him, But William Peake, his son, who continued to paint people, they had a studio. There would have been several people painting the portraits. They also owned a printing workshop. Now, if you look into the history of printers in England, in London at that period, they were prolific. There are literally dozens of people printing pamphlets, Small books, plays, poems, sonnets, etc., etc., in London, working around Blackfriars across that part of the town. They've been well recorded. You can Google and you'll find dozens of them. But when I start to investigate what the Peaks printed and published, we find that after Robert Peake dies, and uh, we think that's around. 1619. The great scholar of um of Peak is of course the writer, and I'm trying to think of his name, it'll come to me, Sir Roy Strong, uh is a man who's written many books about Elizabethan and Jacobean arts and paintings. he was the expert really back in the 1960s and 70s. Um, yeah. he's still with us. He's the go-to person to know about Tudor and Jacobean portraits. But there are others since, of course. So you look at William Peake and then his son, another Robert Peake, they owned and ran printing presses. And what do I find out? William Peake worked with Robert Drossuit. Was it Robert Drusset, William Drossuit. The man who printed the image on the first folio. They worked together in the 1620s. And it's very likely that the Drossuit family would have perhaps used images from the Peake family for their printed engravings that they produced from the printing presses. There is a direct link. There are pictures, engravings in the v in London, uh, printed by William Peake, by the Drossuit family. There is a connection between both, uh, which makes the connection between the first folio and the Peake family very strong indeed.
0: So it's not just plausible that Peake would have been, you know, around or employed this way, but there are very detailed personal connections between Robert Peake and William Shakespeare that you could argue they were connected and potentially knew each other without this painting. So that's just another layer of veracity that gets put on this portrait.
1: Absolutely right. Yes, correct. Uh, There is something more too. I discovered that uh, the play Winter's Tale and subsequent Italian plays by Shakespeare are presented and performed in a manner because Shakespeare admired a Roman theatre architecture. When you examine how these plays were actually put on, Shakespeare left instructions as to how they should be performed uh, in many different ways. And we know he had a great admiration for the Roman theatre, if you want. I don't mean Roman time theatre, but theatre in Rome in the 1520s, 30s, 40s, thought then to be the most advanced form of presentation of the theatre. And the studies have been done on that to show how Shakespeare admired and copied many of the ways they approached staging of theatres. So we go back and we look at The Winter's Tale and we find he probably knew, he refers to various things. I'm just going through my notes. He refers to a book known as Celio's Book of Architecture, Volumes 1 to 5, which many people will never have heard of. They're famous books of architecture of Italian, particularly from Rome, staging of plays how they were put together, and how theatres were built, particularly for this. You can see diagrams in the book of how the theatres were built. So we know, because Shakespeare refers in passing to these books in Winter's Tale. Now, that book, Serlio's Book of Architecture, came into England in around 1606, 1607, 1608, And it had to be translated, and we believe it was translated originally from Italian, probably into Dutch, and then from Dutch into English. And when it was printed in English, who did the printing? Robert Peake. Robert Peake's printing presses produced these books of architecture that Shakespeare clearly read. He would have gone to Peake's shop. To buy those books. He would have had early access, probably. He's an important man, Shakespeare. Again, another very strong connection. I've spoken to scholars in America who've researched these connections, and they can see they didn't really, they wouldn't know there's a painting of Shakespeare that we think is by Peake. The connections grow daily, there is still a lot more to do.
0: In 1608, William Shakespeare was at the height of his celebrity in England. Does his status lend credibility to the idea that the Peaks would have wanted to paint Shakespeare's portrait, or maybe that someone in power would have commissioned this going on?
1: Yes, quite possibly. Shakespeare, of course, had patrons. Many people in the court at that time had their portraits done by, by Peake and other artists. There are many similarities of style in the Peake portrait. Other people, Edmund Tilney and various other people, had their portraits painted. It was not an, an uncommon thing to do. These portraits, again, are hanging in English stately homes everywhere. Some of them, we know who they are. Some of them, I'm sure we don't. Did Shakespeare pay for the picture? I I don't know. We can't be sure. It's possible the painting would have gone to Shakespeare, to Stratford. Possibly it was hung in a theatre. We have some evidence that paintings of playwrights and actors were hung in theatres just as they are today. I went to a theatre recently in Bath, and there's pictures of John Gielgud and Laurence Olivier hanging in the foyer. You know, it's just the same. I think it's it's also worth remembering, of course, that Shakespeare didn't achieve the notoriety that we come to think of him now, really until the early eighteenth century, when Garrick and others popularized the plays. Shakespeare wasn't particularly famous during his lifetime, and it was took many years, particularly after the sort of wilderness years of the Puritans in England in the sixteen forties fifties when you know uh, theatres were closed down it wasn't until the Next century, when the, these people like Shakespeare and others again became popular, and he's obviously his popularity zoomed from then onwards
0: <laughs> and we're so glad it did because i don't think we would even be having this conversation if it hadn't so <laughs> no. it's that's wonderful now. I know we are just dying to know more about this painting and its history, the Danbys and Swindon Hall and the whole place there. Where should we begin um obviously? Just Googling it will bring up a whole bunch of articles, but I think some more reliable sources might be some that you could suggest. So where do you suggest we begin? It's,
1: it's a tricky one. I mean, I've, if you, if you Google Shakespeare images, of course, you'll find the Chandos, the one that hangs in the National Portrait Gallery, and other pictures of Shakespeare too, and there's a lot to say about those. I could be quite damning about the Chandos in particular. The evidence for some of these pictures is, is scant. Nevertheless, I have yet to publish all this information anywhere. We showed the picture to the press just before Christmas, so a lot of information went into the public domain, and you can find it online. But it's very much press reportage, and it was uh, very amusing to find comments from one or two people, notable people, scholars of Shakespeare, scholars of literature of shakespeare let's let me say who had immediate comments and they hadn't seen our research documents neither had they seen the picture at all but of course people always want something to say my friend and colleague who owns the picture has it safely stored and he wants to sell it of course he's an elderly gentleman he thinks it's about time this picture was seen by many more people but of course he'd like to sell it so We have some serious interest in it from one or two people, but negotiations are ongoing. It may yet go to an auction house to be sold. I couldn't say I don't own it. Uh, My involvement has been to do the research. And I must say, when I was first approached, I was sceptical. Anybody would be. But the more you begin to find out, particularly about peak, that's when it becomes clear. I think so much research has been done about Shakespeare to find fresh information about his life and, and what he did during his life is very difficult. But to find information about Peake and his family, and what they did, is all there still to be done. And, and the quest to find more information about the Peake family continues.
0: Well, we will place links and pictures of this portrait so you can see it and you can explore some of the research that's being done. It is exciting stuff. So make sure you check out the show notes to learn more about this and to find some resources there. Now, Duggan, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's, what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible. So your choice would be in addition to those.
1: I think I, yes, you asked me that before we started very briefly. Books, my favorite writer is uh, William Boyd, the English novelist. I would take almost anything by William Boyd. He's a great writer today. He's very of the moment uh, and he can see deep into the human psyche. There are always interesting books to read.
0: I think that would be an excellent choice for sure. So what's next for you? What are you working on now that you're excited about?
1: Uh, (laughs) I spend most of my life involved with the arts and antiques trade, writing about antiques and fine arts and so forth. I'm still involved with Shakespeare. We still have more work to do. In fact, only a fortnight ago, I was contacted by a man in Canada who's worked with facial recognition software for the past 20 years, used by the police there too. And he sent me absolutely fascinating research work he'd undertaken, looking at this peak picture of Shakespeare, comparing it to the drosset engraving, and he said to me, this is a 95% match. He'd never come across a picture so close to that. That's this.
0: incredible. That's a big number. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah it's, and it, it, there's still work to do, you see. So every time we look at this and stop and start, there's more and more information that forthcomes from somewhere.
0: I've just got chill bumps. Duncan Phillips has just been thrilling to speak with you about this painting, to learn more about it. I know I can't wait to see the further research that comes from your work. And I appreciate you taking time today to meet with us and share with us this history. It's been a really fun conversation. Cassidy, thank
1: you very much. It's been a pleasure.
0: If you like the show today, be sure to let us know about it. Tell us your thoughts and ideas with a comment, and please provide a rating on the platform you're listening from today. That really helps our show get heard by other people. If you would like to see the visual version of the Danby portrait, a copy of it that you can look at for yourself, along with pictures of people like Robert Peake and some of the diagrams from Roman theater that we were talking about in today's episode, you want to check out the show notes. The show notes are where we pack the visual content that coordinates with the history you're learning about on the podcast. There's also more information about our guests and links to the further learning resources that we talk about in our conversation. Find all of these things at CassidyCash.com slash episode 258. That's CassidyCash.com slash EP258. If you are excited to dive in and learn more about what it was like to live in turn of the 17th century England the way Shakespeare would have lived it, then consider becoming a patron. There are over 150 additional episodes of our show available in the back catalog. We talk with the world's leading experts about the life and history of William Shakespeare and things going on in the 17th century when Shakespeare was living there. These are all available in our patrons-only RSS feed, and each one has accompanying show notes, just like today's episode, that are available for patrons. So there's a whole lot of history there available for people who support our show. Now, patrons are also treated to behind-the-scenes extras, including the chance to participate in the interviews by sending in your questions you'd like us to ask during the show. There's also some education resources there for teachers that like to use our podcast in their classrooms, along with some other bonus history tips bits that we put there just because we love Shakespeare and we want to share his history with you. You can explore all of the benefits and join us today at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That's patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That Shakespeare life is researched and produced by me, Cassidy Cash. Our audio engineer is Gary Mayholm. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.